Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hey, Johnny, what's up? I have a problem with Lisa. She said that I hit her. What? Well, did you? No, it's not true. Don't even ask. What's new with you? Well, I'm just sitting up here thinking, you know? I got a question for you. Yeah. You think girls like to cheat like guys do? What makes you say that? I don't know. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I don't have to worry about that because Lisa's loyal to me. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. I used to know a girl, she had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Yeah, you can say that again. Hello and welcome to Desert Island Graps. Now, your ears do not deceive you. It is not Tom Campbell hosting this episode. It is myself, Fraser Porter, and I've got a very special guest with me. This has been an episode I've been very, very excited about doing for a very long time. Uh, we've got the the writer, an award-winning writer of, an, of the book, The Disaster Artist, the star of The Room, and the director and star of Miracle Valley, Mr. Greg Sestero. How are you? Oh, hey, guys. Uh, great to be here, man. It's uh, doing well. The summer has been, it has not let up. Uh, mm -hmm. The heat, I don't know. I think everyone's been kind of hit with that. You were saying you as well. Yeah. So we're trying to stay cool. Uh, but other than that, I can't complain. Can't complain at all. As I said, it's, it's as you said there, it's, it's very warm here as well. So we've, I've, got, I've had to shut all the windows so we can get no noise coming in. Uh, but it's, it's a sweltering one as well. Um, I just want to jump straight into the, the sort of interviews and get to know you as a person. Um, now, the big sort of thing around you is the room, but I want to take it back a little bit further than that. At 12 years old, you wrote a script and submitted it for Home Alone 2, correct? Yes. Can you tell me a little um, bit about that? Yeah, I saw the movie Home Alone. Uh, I was 12. I was obsessed with the story. You know, I was like, I love Christmas. I love the idea of, you know, defending your own house, making traps. So I really, I didn't know what to do with that passion. And I just came home and I started writing out a story that was going to take place at my other favorite thing, uh, Disney World. And I was like, you know, Kevin, he's going to get on the wrong plane. He's going to go to Disney World. He's going to meet his friend. Me, he's a little bit older, who can help fight the bandits, who the bandits are now janitors at Disney World. 
Okay. So I wrote out this whole script. I believed in it. I had a soundtrack. Like it meant so much to me. I wasn't doing homework. I wasn't doing schoolwork. I was just writing a script. So I tracked down John Hughes production company. I sent it to him. I thought this is going to happen. I had even had dreams where he pulled up with a contract to my house in a red Ford Explorer. Um, it just, it was going to happen. I believed something big was going to happen. And then a month later, I got the script returned and I was devastated. But in those pages was a handwritten note from John Hughes talking about follow your dreams. Um, and it was just something that um, even though I was hurt, I couldn't watch Home Alone for a long time. It still was like, OK, as I as I got older, it meant even more to me. So I knew what I wanted to do at that point, And that was tell stories. And what did you uh, actually think of Home Alone 2 when it came out? Do you think it lived up to your expectations? I thought it was just a remake of part one in New York. And I thought it, would, it was a smart sequel because it capitalized very quickly mm -hmm. on the Home Alone fandom. And it, it, it was out within a year and a half and it didn't try to do too much. And it stuck to what the first one did. Mm -hmm. So therefore, of course, the first one's going to mean more to me. But I thought it was a very smart way in jumping on a sequel idea. Because we have a big debate in our office, usually around about Christmas time, of which is the best Home Alone film. I'm, I'm personally team Home Alone 1. There's some people in the office that prefer Home Alone 3, which I, I think they're wrong on that one. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned that even at that early age, you knew kind of what you wanted to do. Was it always sort of the writing side of filmmaking that interested you? Or did you want to go into acting earlier than that? Yeah, it was mainly writing and then the writing kind of led into acting. And then it was a few years later when I decided I, I really wanted to try to get into acting, um, you know, and kind of merge the two together as well. Writing, I enjoy a lot because you can control the story. You can create the story. It means a lot more than just being a piece of the puzzle. So mm -hmm. writing to me has always meant more um, than acting. And Obviously, before you got into acting, uh, you went off and you had sort of a you had a modeling career, and you still do to this day. How was that experience for you getting to travel sort of to Milan and Paris and sort of get, get a taste of that world? Yeah, so I have, I have family in France and Italy, and French was my first language. So I traveled to Europe a few times before. But uh, yeah, I started living in Milan when I was 17. Modeling was a great experience, got you comfortable with the fashion industry, the entertainment industry, being in front of the camera. So I really, um, I enjoyed that whole process. It was a world that, um, that was a lot of fun. Um, and traveling is another one of my passions. So modeling was a really great life experience that um, I enjoyed. I lived, you know, I ended up going to London and many other cities. So um, it's a different world. I prefer, you know, more of the creative film side, but uh, modeling was a great experience. And sort of to bridge it round to wrestling, because of course we're a wrestling channel and sort of a lot of a crossover between wrestling and acting, obviously it's, it's a very theatrical side of things. Uh, growing up, were you a wrestling fan? Sort of like how much of a, did you pay attention to it? So I used to play video, video games, uh, a lot of wrestling video games on the, um, Nintendo pro wrestling, um, Sega Genesis. I always loved wrestling video games. And I was always into watching um, Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Um, and all that time I thought of wrestling was real. So some of those matches, I was just like blown away. And then obviously I loved that movie that came out a few years ago called The Wrestler. Um, kinda, that was kind of some inspiration for the disaster artists as well. 
um, oh. just the way they captured the Mickey Rourke character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought wrestling was just really exciting. And I got to connect with Chris Jericho uh, mm-hmm. last year as well. So wrestling has always had, I just love the passion people have for it. And it's just, it's a combination of sports and, and theatrics. And I think it's just got a, a really fun home with a lot of fans. But the you video mentioned... games were always my favorite. Oh, the video games are fantastic. They were, that's some of my favorite memories growing up is playing some of the video games. But you, you mentioned that throughout that period, you, you thought that wrestling was real. That's sort of the best memories of wrestling is when you, you still believe in it and you've still got that magic. Uh, how old were you when you had that sort of that glass shattering moment? Yeah, I tried to believe it until I was like 13. Okay. Uh, and then we were, I was a baseball player in high school. So we all, a bunch of wrestling fans were in the band going to the game. We were talking about all the matches. And then we're just like, we got to accept that as real as we want it to be. It's not, but let's just keep, uh, you know, let's pretend that, pretend that it is. Pretend the illusion's still there, which will bring us nicely on to our, our fir- your first match. Obviously, the concept of the show, you're bringing three matches to a deserted island to entertain you. What is your match number one? Match number one is Randy Savage, Savage versus uh, Ricky Steamboat. From WrestleMania, WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 3, a fantastic WrestleMania um, and a fantastic match choice. Why, why did you choose this one? I just felt like it was, it was one of those ones that went on and, and like the pace of it, it just really was something we hadn't seen before. Um, it also gave a chance to the quote-unquote smaller uh, wrestlers, which I think mm-hmm. was important to make people, some of those guys that don't have that height, don't have that fit, you know, can, can dream and, and be a part of it. So um, it was just probably the most entertaining one that I'd seen at that and point. At that point, were you watching, did you manage to watch it live? Obviously, for us over in the UK, we've got to stay up all hours of the night to watch the live, the live wrestling in the US. Do you remember, have any memories of, of watching WrestleMania 3? yeah we had all of our friends over and watched it and uh you know we were jumping up and yelling and interacting with it so mm-hmm. i think I, we even had posters of some of those guys up but uh yeah no watch wrestling live is, is the way to do it and was any of your family members ever interested in wrestling were you any of your parents wrestling fans or did they support I, you in that i think my dad's side was fascinated by it too but he was trying not to spoil the truth <laughs> i think i think most dads were in that sort of phase at some point where they, they don't want to they don't want to shatter the truth um but a fantastic first choice i think who were you um sort of backing in that match i would say i was probably with steamboat um mm-hmm. in fact after that match we went um and to try to create our own wrestling video but we switched it to pillow fighting so it was like a 15 round pillow fighting match that included like a mix of boxing and wrestling mm. and we put on like the rocky soundtrack to it um so it definitely got us up and wanting to be part of that world it's you mentioned that it's a very good example of an underdog story and i think a very good underdog story is the story of of the room of course um tell us a little bit about how you first got involved with the very I would say infamous Tommy Wiseau yeah I mean he sort of has a wrestler feel to him I was in uh, an acting class in San Francisco and he went up on stage and the way he moved and his performance was very theatrical and crazy and it was drawn in I'm like who is this guy I hadn't seen anybody like that taking those risks you know mm-hmm. in acting class so 
I approached him to do a scene together and we struck up this very, very unique, bizarre uh, friendship that led us to make this insane movie called The Room that still screens around the world 20 years later. So I guess we're sort of like these wrestler duos, you know, uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're kind of along those lines. I think a very good way to put it there, actually, Tommy Wiseau does come across as sort of this larger than life personality. Um, what was your initial reaction to sort of getting a glimpse in as as you've, you've mentioned in, in the disaster artist the book it, and he's said before tommy's world or tommy's planet yeah he's just somebody who is very um marches the beat of his own drum he doesn't quite say things that connect with the situation you're in but there's a certain you know aura and sincerity and innocence there mixed with chaos that's just something that's really perplexing and fascinating and for anybody in their early 20s they're like I just want to meet you and, and how do you work? What's, what's the story behind the madness? So he definitely has an aura that, that draws you in in, in, in an entertaining, entertaining way. Mm-hmm. And those sort of years when you were, what was it 1998, you said you met Tommy. Correct. You were yeah. sort of emerging into the industry yourself. Can you talk a little bit about what your sort of initial rise into that business was like? So I started modeling. I'd done some some scenes uh, for a few TV shows in San Francisco, uh, a few commercials. So I'd been up for some other movies, and it's just a really kind of tough, lonely spot to be auditioning and getting close to things, but not landing the parts. Um, and so I think meeting Tommy, you know, in film and performance, you know, it's a very collaborative medium. And if you have people supporting you and a teammate, it makes life a lot easier. And I think meeting Tommy kind of moved me out of the rut that I was in of just kind of being at it alone, trying to bang my head against the wall and get parts. You know, it helped give me some perspective. It's, it's a very interesting story of your rise into the room and how that came to be. It seems it's like a, it, everything sort of fell into place. Maybe not, maybe not as perfectly as it would seem in, in terms of how you got the roles marked. Uh, but tell us a little bit about that. I mean, it was one of those things again. It was like the friendship I had with Tommy was pushing you to be who you are, be true to who you are, believe in yourself. Um, you know, not everything's going to happen right away for you and be patient um, and, and expect the unexpected. Try to take risks. You know, I think that was one of the things that was scared of trying something that I didn't think was going to be great. And so we don't know um, how that's going to come out. So I learned a lot to be in the moment and just, uh, take that in and, and, and believe in you, take a, take a chance on yourself. And looking back now on, on the room, it's become a whole beast in on itself. It's, it's, I've been to see it, I think now four or five times. Uh, it's one of the most fun experiences people can get in the cinema. Um, did you ever expect when making it that it would become this whole machine in itself? No, I didn't think anybody would ever see it. And that's the beauty of something when you don't expect anything from it, it's sort of a gift when something when something happens, and it was uh, it was really fascinating to watch it grow over the past twenty years, you know, from LA to New York to London to Japan to Germany, or you know, people discovering it around the world and writing the book, The Disaster Artist, that becoming its own film, and then that giving me a chance now to go out and pursue my passions of making horror movies, making thrillers, so. It's just been a very roundabout journey that I did not see coming. And, and that's sort of the beauty of, uh, of being creative. Absolutely. I mean, it's, 
again, like we said there, there's a lot of parallels with Tommy and wrestling, and it seems they're sort of a little intertwined. A lot of wrestling can be crap at times. There's a lot of crap wrestling out there, and it's not always the best stuff. And the way I sort of pitched the room when we came to see it at the Tyneside in Newcastle to some of my colleagues was it's the best of the bad wrestling stuff. Um, see when it was in that filmmaking process obviously you said that you really enjoyed that writing aspect of making films when Tommy was writing this thing and you're alongside him what was your thoughts about the actual script and the quality of it as someone who wanted to pursue writing um I mean it was just something that was straight from his mind and every character in the room at that time spoke like him so you know it was a movie that I didn't think would fit into any orthodox manner and, and that's sort of who Tommy is and the more I got into it the more I realized okay he's trying to make something that is very personal to him and just support that and go out and make the movie you want to make don't let people change you or alter your work you know even if to them it makes more sense go out and make the movie you want to make because I think nowadays we need original material we need people to tell stories that we haven't heard before mm-hmm. and that's what the room is it's something that's so alien we're trying to understand like who is it about? What is it about? Two decades later. So um, I learned through that to be original, be creative. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a, a work of art in some ways. It's it's really a sort of magical experience and sort of getting to, to sit in the cinema and see that. Um, as I said, it's become sort of a cult classic and you've got to travel the world. What are some of your favorite experiences getting to meet the, the fans of the room? Yeah, I love traveling. It's always been one a big passion of mine. This year, I visited all 50 states in the United in the U.S. Got a chance to come to uh, Newcastle, which I love, in Scotland. Amazing places, charming people. And I love hearing their story, how they discovered the movie, what it means to them, what the disaster artist means to them, listening to the audio book on road trips. So I think the whole thing has been very um, rewarding. And, and then nothing beats getting to connect with fans and, and and talking to people about their love for movies and you know their experience watching the room see when you are in attendance for one of these fan screenings of the room and i know when when we, we, you did the one in newcastle you your we watched your film and you premiered your film afterwards which we will get onto later on what uh, is your experience like of you must have sat through that film. I think when I, I watched your interview with Chris Van Vliet about, about The Room and, and you mentioned that you've only seen it a handful of times, but you must have been around it so often. How many times do you think you've actually gone to these fan screenings? I think I've actually sitting in watching and it's about number seven I'm at now. Um, mm-hmm. And usually that's with the microphone live riffing the movie. So I'm forced to watch it, but really I'm there to, to support the fans and be there and have a good time. And when the movie starts, I'm usually either gone having dinner or working on something or hanging out with friends. So I'm never really in the theater watching the movie. Occasionally I'll peek back in. I remember in Newcastle at Tyneside, it was packed. At yeah. the end, the reactions were hilarious. And uh, some, of those, some of those times I'll peek in at the end and watch and listen in. But um, normally when the movie's on, I'm usually somewhere else. It seems like every sort of screening of the room, I've been to see it a handful of times, every screening is slightly different. There's a different dynamic, different, obviously different crowd, and it feels different. But there's always that certain moments that always have to happen and are ingrained in fans' minds. But is there any moment for you in that film that is sort of ingrained and you can't sort of escape? Um, I think probably my favorite scene is the Chris R scene because it just gets such a big reaction. <laughs> The sex scenes are ones that I always am gone. Like I can't watch a minute yeah. of that. 
Um, but overall, people seem to really love it, and that's like the most important thing. And it's it's a sort of the room, as we said, is is Tommy's described it. I believe is it's an all American story for an all American guy, and it feels like something very again like very wrestling and and america wrestling has got that big sort of american all american hero and sort of things which well I, i'm gonna ask you now what your what your second wrestling match you would take to the deserted island so i'm gonna go with hogan versus andre the giant in wrestlemania 3 i was always drawn to uh, andre the giant i saw him in princess bride he's from the same town my mom is in france in grenoble Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just been a character I've always been really fascinated by. And I feel like that match really brought professional wrestling into the mainstream and it really pushed Hogan into somebody who became an icon where you had figures of him, people dressed up as him. He was a great entertainer in many different ways. Um, but for me, I was more drawn to Andre the Giant uh, because of the French background and Princess Bride and all that stuff. Um, I was going to say, you must have been quite torn between being raised in America, but also having the French background uh, between this yeah. American hero and a French, the French villain, quote unquote. Yeah, no, Andre the Giant was always somebody that was just, I don't know, I was always enamored with. So I'd say that's probably my second, your second match, match. That, that stood out to me. And again, as you mentioned earlier for your first match, WrestleMania 3, you must have been watching that live. Um, always, yeah. How was that experience, obviously, with your friends? If you're cheering for the, the villain in that, the heel, what was that dynamic like? Yeah, a few people, like my brother, loved Andre the Giant, too. Uh, but everyone else from school loved Hogan. So um, it was sort of a fun, it was a fun time. But um, yeah, and then after that, later on, Hogan became somebody I was more, I was really uh, a fan of. So it all, it all worked out. I mean, he's, he, as you said, he sort of sort of ushered wrestling into the mainstream. Hulk Hogan from that point on then sort of skyrocketed into a career of films and then later went over to WCW and was sort of the NWO sort of took over culture for quite a while, or wrestling culture at least, um, which is just, it was crazy. What was that? Did you continue watching wrestling through that point after, after WrestleMania 3? Yeah, I was still into it. I was always into all sports, but, you know, again, the video games kept my brother and I really into it because, um, you know, we'd always get into those games and you want to watch it on TV. So uh, I even picked up a little wrestling in, in, in high school as well. It's a yeah. lot more fun to watch, I think, than really real competitive wrestling. When you say um, you picked up the wrestling, was it uh, amateur wrestling or sort of professional wrestling? Yeah, it was a game, amateur wrestling. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot easier to watch, uh, yeah. you know. It, 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 so. Yeah, I imagine it, it hurts quite a bit to get in that ring onto the canvas. And, and as you can see, with the size of the guys, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's larger than life personalities. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tommy being this larger-than-life personality, you, you wrote a book about that experience, obviously, the disaster artist, um, which went on to win quite many awards when you, when you sort of sat down to write it did you expect as much attention being drawn to um I think for me when I started writing the book I knew people had seen you know they liked the room um so for me I knew if they read the story about the making of it just you know the backstory of he and I being friends that it would be something really unique for people and, and there's a lot of comedy there's a lot of parts so I when I wrote the disasters I my goal was that with that book was for it to become its own movie so that like Ed Wood like Woody Knights because I really felt those characters were unique and crazy enough to have a movie made about them so that was really the goal so three weeks after the book came out James Franco reached out and I, I couldn't believe it it was one of those things you get that phone call it definitely made up for the John Hughes uh you know <laughs> absence and uh yeah James Franco Seth Rogen they they read the book on the set of the interview and they're like we want to make a movie about this. So it all worked out in the end. Uh, but really the goal with the book was to tell a story that um, not only appeals to people who like bad movies or, or, or weird films, but, you know, a story about friendship and a story about following your dreams. It's a, an incredibly entertaining book. I, I believe it won best humor audiobook for your own narration of it. How was the experience getting to actually narrate your own book? It was, it was a challenge. I remember going in thinking it's going to be, you know, a cakewalk and it took me about two weeks and I just knew, you know, reading that story and playing the role of Tommy was going to be something that um, would be unlike anything else. And I didn't want to pass it on and have someone else read it. So I wanted people to listen to that book and hear it from the person who experienced it. So uh, the audiobook was definitely one of the highlights in, uh, in this whole journey. It is a very personal experience getting to read your own your own book for the audiobook version of it. It must have been pretty cool. Um, obviously, in the film, it's the Franco brothers playing the parts of Tommy and yourself. Um, what was the... Everyone sort of has that moment in their life where they're like, if I, was in a, if I was played by someone in a movie, who would play me? What was it like getting to see yourself on screen, but not yourself? Yeah, I, I had pictured the story as a, as a movie. So I was picturing Javier Bardem as Tommy, Ryan Gosling as Greg, uh, you know, while I was writing it, I was like, this other actor is going to play this. So I had in my mind, it was going to be somebody else. But, uh, when I got to see it for the first time, I thought it was great. I thought people were laughing. Um, the whole thing was a great experience and they, they loved the story and really, really honored it. How much um, input did you have on the filmmaking process of it? Of course, if you said you, you wrote it with the intention of it being made as a film, did you have much input? Um, I, you know, it was the right team to pass the story along to. And I was just stoked. They got really good screenwriters to write the script and the whole cast was great. So I was just happy to see what they would do with it and support them. Uh, I worked a lot with the production designer for accuracy and photos and, but I was just happy to be on the ride and uh, learn as much as I could. And the reaction to it was quite very positive. In fact, it won, well, it was nominated for an Oscar and, and numerous awards. 
Um, did you again? Did you expect that sort of attention to be brought to it once it actually translated to film? Yeah, I think once we got the right people on board and they kept building momentum and 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 you know being on set with the the amount of talent that was there, I was hopeful. But you know, you never know how movies going to turn out. But I think when we did the first screening at South by Southwest, the response was so amazing and people cheered and just just it really meant a lot to them and i knew that i thought we had something special it's it's one of those films i went to the preview screening for it in edinburgh when it prior to its release and, and i went with someone who, who didn't know the story of the room and it was it managed it one it got them hooked on the room and they've now been to numerous screenings but it's it's made turn them into a big fan of yourself with reading the book and sort of diving into that world of of non-fiction or non-fiction pieces um You've then sort of done other sort of filmmaking stuff. You've been in the, in, I believe, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Now that was with Pat Oswald. How was that experience? Yeah, those guys were fans of the room early on. They came up with the whole spoon idea. Uh, they were great. Yeah, Dude Bro is still something that people talk about and message me how much they love the movie. And uh, it was great. I had a lot of fun making Dude Bro and I, I continually suggest it to people if they want to see something completely insane, they got to watch Dude Bro. Yeah, and I, I remember meeting you a few years back in, in the Prince Charles Cinema in London, a very iconic theatre and a very sort of iconic theatre for the room experience, especially over people in Britain, and you presented your film Best Friends. Now, that was your first collaboration with Tommy in, over t in about 20 years, right? 15 to 16 years? Yeah, it was, it was 15, 15 years. Um, and, you know, I'd come up with the idea to write a script for him in a role that like fits him, you know, because mm -hmm. in the room, he's a banker. I thought, what a great idea. Tommy playing a vampire mortician. We combine Breaking Bad and a simple plan and we go out and make something that's, you know, a weird cousin to the room. And uh, we went out and made it. It was funny. Tommy had this idea where he wanted he and I to be the same height in the movie. Okay. So if you watch Best Friends, you see him in these weird platform hills kind of tilting around. And that was because he wanted to shock the audience. So making best friends was a really a great time. Um, and I think if people watch it, they'll get to see a different side of Tommy that is equally weird and, and quirky, but entertaining in a different way. And you said at the at that screening of it all those years ago, you said it was inspired by a road trip that you took with with Tommy in 2003. How close, how close to the actual experience was the was the road trip? Yeah, I mean, I kind of started out with the idea because Tommy thought I took him on that road trip to try to kill him. And um, and I thought that was just so funny. It was so random. So I used that as inspiration. And then I wrote the script in like four days. Wow, that's quite a quick, quick turnaround. But was, I really enjoyed the film. It was a great experience. And it was, as you said, it was nice to see that different, different side of Tommy and, and to see, you know, your talents on display with, with, a, with a project like that. Um, we're going to, you mentioned a, a mortician and a zombie, sort of a vampire mortician. Um, big characters in wrestling, uh, such as, well, we're going to move on to your, your third wrestling match. What have you got for me? My third wrestling match, we got to go back to uh, 1998, The Undertaker versus Mankind, Hell in a Cell 98. Uh, probably one of the most entertaining ones I've seen. 98 was, again, it was right about the time that I met Tommy uh, <laughs> and moving to L.A. So it was a very uh, changing time towards the end of my, my peak interest in, uh, in wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, sort of my last favorite one that, uh, that I experienced. So I saw a little bit of The Undertaker in Tommy. 
Um, you can definitely thought, see the parallels. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought uh, that's kind of where I was at in my life. And that's probably why I went up and asked Tommy to do a scene in the acting class. I mean, it's very a, it's much a, my, my undertaker phase. Definitely. I mean, I, I, even just the look and down at the hair and sort of a, that characterization of them. Um, what were you a big fan of the wrestling during the Attitude Era? That's sort of the, the peak moment everyone sort of talks about is the Attitude Era. Um, and this, of course, 1998, slap bang in the middle of that. Were you sort of watching throughout that period? Yeah, that was sort of like when, you know, towards the end of what my interest was. But that was that was definitely the, the most exciting time. Um, you know, when I talked to people, I was at WrestleMania in New Orleans in 2018, I think. Yeah. And uh, that's the time that everybody talks about as well. It's, I mean, WrestleMania, I think it was 34 in 2018. That was a fantastic show. Did you get to experience the show live? A little bit. We were doing screenings of Best Friends, so it was a you know a bit of there, but um, it was all happening around us. I mean, what a place to be doing screenings of Best Friends, the slap bang in New Orleans, <laughs> where of course Tommy is from. Um, yeah. Now you, uh, you, I wanted to actually sort of move from Undertaker onto the horror sort of theme. Um, I was very surprised when sitting down to watch uh, a show on Netflix at the start of the pandemic or midway through the pandemic. And I see your face pop up in the haunting of Bly Manor. Um, I was sitting with my girlfriend. I was like, that is Greg Sestero. Oh my God. Um, how is that? How did that come together? Yeah, I'd met uh, Mike Flanagan's wife, Kate Siegel, at a convention. She was amazing. She told me Mike was a fan of the Disaster Artist book and he wanted to offer me a part. And he offered me a cameo um on Bly Manor I got to be in two episodes and amazing crew amazing cast I got to hang out with Mike and talk about movies you know he gave me a lot of uh tips and inspiration on how we made his early films and that was right around the time I was going to make my own horror film Miracle Valley about a month later so he gave me a lot of uh you know juice to go out and do that and um it was uh Bly Manor was great it was really fun to be have that as a surprise for people to come out and like not expect it and just throw it at him. Oh, it was a it was a fantastic little appearance seeing you in there as a little cameo. Um, and you mentioned that that was then in the run up to making your own film and in, in Miracle Valley, which I want to sort of jump in and talk about now. Um, tell us a little bit about the film for anyone that might not know what it is. Yeah, Miracle Valley is a movie that I wrote, directed, starred, produced about. Uh, it's a horror movie about a cult in Arizona. I made it just as the pandemic was finished. It just as the pandemic was happening. It's about a real-life story about a cult in which a preacher uh, used to tell, believe, had made this group of people believe he could bring people back from the dead based on their blood type. So it's sort of a story about people being trafficked for their blood type. Um, it's a very, you know, strange, uh, quirky, funny horror movie, sort of an homage to the 70s. You know, if you liked The Hills Have Eyes, Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween... Mm -hmm. uh, evil dead it's got a little bit of all those mixed together we had so much fun making it and it's coming out in september we've done some advanced screenings which we did at, at newcastle and um yeah people seem to really enjoy it and they're, they're interacting with it we did a screening in edinburgh and people started yelling miracle valley lines when they were watching the room so um it's definitely a, a movie that i think is you know it's a fun fun watch especially with a group when you were when you were making the film what was your what did you expect from that experience? Obviously, it was your directorial debut. How was that challenge approaching that? I had been living in that environment for, some, for so many months, writing the script that I was very comfortable and familiar with the territory, with the locations. 
So I'd memorized the movie many times in my mind. We shot it handheld on Ari. And uh, I just kind of knew the vision of what it was going to be. So it was very natural for me stepping in and filming this movie. And I think at the, at the screening, we had the Q&A session with yourself. And you mentioned that someone approached you about the, 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 the cult in the, in the, in the area. Um, you yeah, took a, you took a big risk. To, I know. I somebody reached out and they're like, hey, we got this really interesting location. I know you want to make a horror movie. I, again, I kind of take chances and jump out there and maybe it wasn't always the smartest move, but definitely gave me inspiration to get started on, on this movie. It's, yeah, it must have been quite a risk, but I guess, as you said there, you, you've taken opportunities. Uh, you, you took an opportunity on Tommy and you've taken an opportunity and it's paid off massively with Miracle Valley. Um, you said that the fan reaction to it, in, it's nice to hear that Edinburgh was very receptive as an Edinburgh native. Love that city. Love it. Um, Love Edinburgh. It's great, man. The castle... Oh, especially during fringe period. It's currently at the moment. I'm missing it, but it's. I'm glad that the reception of the film has been positive. What's the sort of um, when you've spoken to people about it? What are their highlights of it for you? I think they love the uh, the horror element. They love that there's some you know there's some comedy, there's some gore. Uh, I think they're surprised by the twists in the story, and that's always a big thing for me. Is with horror, you got to have those fun twists. Uh, but really, yeah, they're just saying it's quick. It's a good time. Um, it's entertaining. And that's that's what we need nowadays. We need movies to, to pay off and be entertaining. And now you've done your sort of big, the, the first big sort of step into that horror world. Um, what's what's sort of next for you in that? So um, I wrote a UFO abduction script during the pandemic and I'm revising it right now. So I'm hoping to make that next year. It's a story called Forbidden Sky. Um, and it's a take on the UFO genre. Uh, it's tying in the whole uh, Roswell crash. I visited the 75th anniversary festival of the Roswell crash, interviewed a lot of people. So it's going to be, you know, a love letter to UFO abduction stories. Uh, it's, it might be the craziest thing I've made. So look out for this guy that I hope to make next year. Very excited to see that. If it's anything like Miracle Valley was, I'm sure it'll be a, a, a a fitting tribute to those 70s and the, or the, the style and the, the genres. Um, now, you mentioned, actually, to sort of swing it back around to, to wrestling ever so slightly, you, um, you mentioned at that Q&A that one of the stars or the actors in, the, in Miracle Valley was a wrestler and you had a fight scene with him. Not to spoil anything of the film, but how was that sort of fight scene to do? Yeah, former pro wrestler, we had a scene where he, was, he also did stunts. So he's like, hey, I used to do pro wrestling, don't worry. This is going to look great, but you're not going to feel any, any of it. Well, nope. I felt every punch and got the living hell beat out of me and got thrown to the ground and lifted around and punched through the wall. So I, uh, I didn't know wrestling was supposed to be fake, but I felt every uh, piece of that beat down. So there is oh, some yeah. wrestling in Miracle Valley. I, I guess you could say it's wrestling blood. But, yeah, he, uh, he definitely knocked me the hell out. So I've heard I've heard a few people say that where they've mentioned I, I thought wrestling was fake until I tried it and then you you actually understand that it, it does hurt a fair amount. Um, now you as you said you're working on your on your your new UFO film, um, but there's also a film coming out another sort of meet up with Tommy uh, with with Big Shark, from what I understand is that still. Yeah. That was just a trailer that we like three and a half years ago. One night we made a teaser trailer, so that's all that exists for it. Um, but um, at the moment, that's you know that's all that's there. So hopefully, we'll get to make it someday. Fantastic! And as part of this show, 
we do allow you to take a couple more things to this deserted island. So I'll give you a chance to, to take them. Uh, you get to take a film, an album, and a, a luxury item. So we'll start off. What film would you like to take to this island? I'm going to take Back to the Future. Fantastic choice. Why Back to the Future? Because it kind of gives you hope on, on things turning out well and that whatever you're going through is going to matter someday. Um, so it's a, it's a fun movie, and it's also a feel-good movie, which I'm going to need on a desert island being by myself. Uh, album, I'm going to take uh, Fade to Black by Metallica. Mm-hmm. Keeps you up going, keeps you yeah, motivated, yeah. keeps you rocking out. A luxury item, I don't know, maybe a tooth, uh, electric toothbrush. A tooth, I mean, I took a PlayStation with me, so it could be anything you can, uh, a- anything okay, you okay. want. If a toothbrush is a good choice, though. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> but on the topic of, of Back to the Future there, next time you're in London, I highly recommend you check out Back to the Future, the musical. Fantastic show. I heard of it. I heard of it, yeah. So good. I definitely got to check it out. Um, but interesting, you chose a, a toothbrush. I will let you take a second luxury <laughs> item that you can entertain yourself with. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with... Yeah, that's a pretty good... Uh... I'm going to bring a solo flex. Okay, fair enough. I, I, if I'm playing video games the whole time, I should be working out. Absolutely. Great, <laughs> great choice. Uh, and we'll finish up the interview. If you can go back to your 12-year-old self who wrote that Home Alone script, Home Alone 2 Lost in Disney World, what advice would you give 12-year-old self? I'd say just keep writing. Uh, don't get stuck on one script. Just you know, finish a story, continue your passion. Uh, the more you write, the better you're going to get, the more confident you're going to get. So just uh, keep writing. And keep, uh, most important thing is, you know, follow the fun. Whatever you're doing, it's got to be fun. So um, uh, follow your passion and stick to it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Greg. That has been a, a, an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Um, and of course, Miracle Valley. Do you, when is the release date for Miracle Valley? Uh, it's going to be your September 16th, I believe. So. Um, but I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. We will, of course, share Blu-ray, all the stuff. The Blu-ray is now available. It ships to the UK. So Amazing. And do you know when you'll be next back in the UK? Have you got any plans to return? Hopefully in uh, October, late October. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we will get to chat to you then and see you there. Uh, but thank you for joining us on Desert Island Graps. Uh, thank you, Greg, once again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for making the time. And um, go wrestling. <laughs> go wrestling indeed. 
for all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes. Search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.